It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up, we take one more look at Media Day, which also gave some insights around key Brooklyn Nets players who are coming off of injury and when we can anticipate Seth Curry, Joe Harris, and the elusive TJ Warren from stepping onto the court for the Brooklyn Nets. All coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, hello there, friends, and welcome into the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie, owner-operator DFSR, for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. I'm Adam Arbrick, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant podcast with my boy, Andy Mack. We thank you for making us your first listen of the day, free on all of those great platforms. And Doug... Some good news and notes, some negative notes about injury updates for the Brooklyn Nets as we come in after what I like to call the perfect intro by yours truly. Oh, only took about three tries, a bunch of laughs. We gotta gotta cut some of it out. Wouldn't have passed the wouldn't have passed the uh, you know safe filter. uh, (laughs) Explicit tag might not have made it. (laughs) Sometimes you sometimes you want to take a risk with the explicit tag. Sometimes you don't. This would have been one of those like not worth it categories. But uh, no, yeah. Uh, Nets media day again. I just want to reiterate something that we kind of said for Kevin Durant when we talked about his media day, uh, when we talked about Kyrie Irving's media day, and then Ben Simmons, who we've covered over the course of this week. You expect often very little from these <laughs> from these interviews, and I do think that the Nets over the last couple of days have given like just way more insight and just way more information than we've one been used to with this team because sometimes information around this team has been frustratingly hard to get uh, and that is a complete and utter, utter understatement if you've covered this team for the last couple of years and then two just like giving a window into how this season is really going to unfold without having even stepped onto the court yet this was a really an interesting look into this team and it's been it's sort of refreshing from you know cover a covering its standpoint oh for sure like i mean you and i have talked about so much doing it five days a week like at a, at a certain point you become exhausted not just around it's not just the negative narratives that were permeating from the organization but also the ambiguity around what yep. the expectation was going to be and every time you thought something was at least crystallizing for better or worse it was like eh, maybe i'll give you one more wrinkle though give me another give me two more weeks give me three more months just the off season so everything to your point about media day just felt like Again, we've said this before, but all the players seem to be coming in with the attitude of it's good for me and good for the team if we just take a deep breath and reset. And if you're the organization, likewise, rather than make the rash decision in the offseason and take 10 cents on the dollar for the value of Kevin Durant, who knows what that would have looked like on a Kyrie Irving situation in trade. So everybody gets to come in feeling much more positive. And as you and I have said, maybe we're out over our skis a little bit. But it's as good as we felt about this team 
I think since the announcement that Kyrie Irving was signing and Kevin Durant was soon to follow, that being the case, uh, it's not all sunshine and rainbows around a couple of the players' key injuries here. We start with the guys that have been Brooklyn Nets, Seth Curry and Joe Harris. Joe, In Joe Harris's case, very good news. Seth Curry, yeah. maybe really good news. Yeah, so Curry talked a little bit how he has not been 100% cleared yet to play. He's coming off surgery um, for at the, at the end of last season, stuff that was hampering him around the ankle, uh, which we knew. Like last season, he was really playing injured. He was not 100% in that Boston series, far from it, and then had arthroscopic surgery in the offseason. He uh, had a quote that said he's about 85 to 90% of the way there right now. Like um, in, or, what he says in order to get back on the floor – so it was a little bit – it's one of those things like, okay, he's probably going to be ready, um, but it would have been nice – and look, these just things happen, timelines are timelines. It's nobody's fault here. But um, it, I, you know, I was kind of under the impression that he was going to be a full go by the time we hit this piece of this uh, season. I thought it was more of a maintenance kind of surgery than something that was really going to keep him out. He's not a crucial, crucial guy for them to start the beginning of the season, but he's one of their better players and obviously one of the best shooters in the league. So anytime you hear that, um, it does kind of you pump the brakes a little bit and say, you know, that's kind of a guy you'd really like to have on the court. Probably wouldn't have started, but maybe. And so um, to hear he's not 100 percent yet just means that the timeline gets pushed back a little. Yeah. And it was that to your point about going back to last season in the playoffs, it it felt the impression was he's fighting through something. And anytime yeah. a player is fighting through something, you tend to think, well, it's not as serious as, let's say, we're going to talk about a minute, Joe Harris, right? It was like, well, Joe Harris can't walk. Joe Harris has little bits of bones floating around, whereas Seth Curry was playing through it. And then you think off season, get some things cleaned up and be ready to go. So it hurts you in that way. The side note probably, and we're going to talk about rotations a little bit, is maybe this is why there's a value in bringing back a guy like Patty Mills, because you want to safeguard against what the Nets, more than anyone from the outside, obviously, would know could be a little bit of a push timeline. And the Brooklyn Nets, to your point about, is he a starter? Maybe not, but Seth Curry is a key component of this team. Early in the season, you obviously want to have what you think are your most important pieces there around your superstars. I think... You can still learn a lot knowing that the key contribution from Curry is the perimeter shooting, and that's something you can get from other places and still know how the system is going to work. The other guy, of course, being Joe Harris, who has that same function, at least from the outside. Really good news on him because they call that 100% healthy. Yeah, he's a, he's good to go, um, which is great to hear because this was one we hadn't heard. It's, we, we we knew the surgeries um, had the second surgery had finally taken, but it's always a huge concern when you have to just redo the surgery, <laughs> and because you want that to obviously be a one time thing, not a two time <laughs> thing. Um, so, but getting him back, I mean, like knowing that he's going to be there to start the season does alleviate some of the concern around the Curry piece because they do need, you need shooting, right? Like these guys are absolute elite shooters. When you put elite shooters around Ben Simmons, when you put elite shooters around guys like Katie um, and Kyrie, who, you know, have so much gravity around them, shooting just becomes easier because when you have premier offensive talents or guys like Simmons that can find basically anybody in any spot, you're, the talent becomes even better, right? The shots become even easier. And so having these guys, this is why these guys are always, you know, way have have been and are way more valuable to the nets than to some other teams, right? When Mm -hmm. you're a contender at some point, these guys become super, super valuable when you have elite offensive talent. So if Curry wasn't going to be there, the Harris piece was going to be good, was good to know 
that they're going to have another guy. And you make a great point about Mills. Like it, it maybe lends some clarity around why, which kind of seemed like a weird signing at the time. Like Patty Mills in the midst of Kevin Durant's uh, trade request and coming off a season where we saw him really not be able to play a ton of playoff minutes, re-signing him at the time did seem a little it was a little bit of a head scratcher, but yeah. when you consider it's a veteran presence, when you consider the Nets probably always believed they were going to bring Durant back, and if they knew that Curry just wasn't on a maybe a hundred percent timeline to start the season, it does make a lot more sense. Uh, I know we're, we're going to get to TJ Warren here in a second, but when you mentioned Patty Mills at his media day, he he sat down on the side with uh, Sarah Kustak and Ryan Rucco, and they were talking about last year and how much he had, you know, the lift that he had to do well beyond what the expected role was, played the most minutes on an average uh, per game basis of his career. And they were, they were kind of tiptoeing around the idea. They're like, you know, and obviously as the season went along, you were, you know, the big workload and Patty Mills almost comes up and goes, yeah, it was a bit cooked. I'm like, he was like, he acknowledged this was not what I was supposed to be doing. And I was giving it all I had. And also I was done. Like I, you know, I'm 30, whatever, 40 years old. There's a limit to what you can really expect me to do. So I, I think that now he comes back in and I won't be shocked if maybe early in the year, the lift looks a little bit larger for him, but the expectation would be that sweet spot being the veteran presence, like you said, and then just supplementing what you really want to be 100% healthy Joe Harris, and then eventually 100% healthy Seth Curry. Like those are the guys that need to be doing the, the bulk of the work here when it comes to the consistent offensive output around the superstars. Yeah, the catch and, sh uh, the, the catch and shoot shooting, three-point shooting is critical for this team. It's why you want to load up on these guys with the way it's set up. Uh, okay, we're going to get into the TJ Warren stuff here yeah, in are. a second first. Going to talk about our friends over at betonline.net, your number one source for football betting, the info this season, basketball betting when it comes around as well. They have the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts. If you're just heading into week four of the NFL, BetOnline has got you covered. They got up to the minute scores, they got all that sports wagering information. It's critical right now. Like, I don't know if you're going into Sunday without this stuff. I really kind of don't know what to tell you at this point. This is like most of the reason I think we turn in, tune in <laughs> to why things are happening on Sunday. Bet online has you covered there. It's not just football either. Like I said, basketball, they have lines already up for this season. Uh, championship odds, Nets opening game, minus four and a half against the Pelicans. Uh, you can go check that out. A bet online. Head on over to betonline.net. Use that mobile device. You can learn about all the different trends, all the different action. Bet online where the game starts. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And so, as we say, really mostly great news for Joe Harris, pretty good news for Seth Curry. We feel like the, the season outlook for them is great. However, recently acquired in the offseason, brought in a guy who effectively hasn't played in two seasons, and that is one TJ Warren. And he has a much longer road here, just to reference the Brian Lewis article from the New York Post, who does a great job covering the team, obviously one of the beat writers. Uh, Steve Nash on Wednesday said, 
um, not TJ in terms of expectations for who's going to be ready for opening night, uh, October 19th against the Pelicans. So not TJ, uh, coach Steve Nash admitted on Wednesday, Seth has a chance. It would be great if Seth could play in one of those preseason games. So we'll see how that goes. And then went on to say, TJ, we're going to assess again in November. He's doing great. He's building up. We knew this going in. We also don't want to take any risk uh, with TJ. He's been out for two years, so it's a process that we want to have a very, be very confident in and make a firm decision uh, as an organization and not rush him. Are you? Does that did it surprise you at all? Or with two years away, I, I'm not surprised by we're not going to push him, but I am surprised by I thought that he was going to be playing in the preseason and we were going to start to get a little sample size of where he was at. Yeah, and just to expand on that quote, and I'll get to the reaction here in a second, he did say, this is Warren, he said, my foot's feeling good, I'm just taking it easy, taking it slow, uh, making sure everything else is working and healthy, it's been so long, right now I'm healed but not cleared, I'm just taking it easy right now, and he goes back, goes on to talk about being patient through the process, and uh, um, just saying that he's fully confident, he's not, he's going to be back this season soon, but then I guess, you know, Nash, gave more of a definitive timeline. Um, It was a little bit surprising, although contextually it makes a lot more, you know, when we talked about the TJ Warren signing and the contract and how little it was, it actually lends a little clarity around that piece now about why the Mm. contract number might've been lower. Cause we were like, Oh, that, that, that contract's going to look like the sickest deal of the off season. If TJ Warren, um, you know, comes back at like even at like 80% of yep. what he was, that contract was going to look totally nuts in favor of the Nets. It it lends a little clarity around maybe what the market might have been or not been for him in the offseason if the medicals were not going to have him cleared before November, right? Because like okay. at that point, there are going to be very few teams that are going to want to just take a roster spot and sit it on a guy who might not get all the way there because when you're signing him over the summer and he's not cleared for many months after, like that's just might be too long of a road for some teams who aren't going to have the patience, don't have the timeline, need guys to just be able to come in and play for that number. So I think, I think from that standpoint, at least it lends a little, like it, it, it kind of crystallizes to some degree about what the market might not have been for him. And it doesn't like change my opinion too much of it because it's always going to be a huge risk. The guy hasn't played in years and he has multiple foot injuries. Like we can't just assume he's going to go out and be bubble TJ Warren, which looked like the (laughs) second coming of Michael Jordan at times. Right. So I I think that like, it's not, it's not all that surprising to me and the timeline. I wish the timeline was sooner, obviously. Yeah. I think you mentioned about not necessarily having a market for it. I, I maybe am almost a little more surprised that teams that aren't necessarily contenders or top flight, you know, top flight teams around in the Eastern or Western conference, maybe wouldn't take a flyer on him for a little more money for the sake of, Hey, if this guy comes back in November and starts to really look good, we've got an asset that teams are going to want to come for. Right. So in that sense, it's good that the Brooklyn nets were able to get in on this and take what is relatively uh, a low risk around TJ Warren I guess if I'm saying there's a concern, it's that, yeah, reevaluate in November. It all seems like it's going the right way. We saw this with Joe Harris when he tried to come back. We see it with Kevin Durant, right? Different players in the league. You, you have an estimated timeline, and then there's a setback. And then that all of a sudden it extends into December, and you know who knows how long it maybe can take. Ideally, it comes back. I don't think you or I were putting a, a big weight on what he needed to be for this team. But in the short term, 
we are going to now look at this roster and look at where TJ Warren was maybe going to slot in. And you had done the minutes look earlier in the off season. I think now at least early days, Royce O'Neal becomes, you know, a bigger component of what has to happen here offensively, how the, the Ben Simmons, Nicholas Claxton, Markeith Morris, Dayron Sharp, like the, the front court has to kind of reshape a little bit here. And do you think the way we were talking about, um, the like for like, as far as a guy like Seth Curry needing a little bit of time to come back. Do you think that this will be a bit of a shift when he gets on the court, as far as the way the offense wants to run because TJ Warren, even as a bench player is different than most of the other talent the Nets have there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it affects it kind of dramatically, honestly. Um, if you look at Nabe. If you, you, I mean, my initial projections on Warren had him somewhere around 15 to 17 minutes um, to start the season. Obviously that's zero now. So right away you just open up that number. Right. And so, um, and then Curry, we had, I mean, right around 22 to 24, something like that. Uh, I'm not saying something like that. I'm just saying that's the band around the minutes. So 35 um, minutes that need to, in the short term, immediately get occupied. Totally. That's a lot. Like that's, that has a pretty, you know, interesting cascading effect down the rest of the the minutes projections, because at that point, and we don't even know who's cleared to make the team yet. Right. So like, I mean, we assume a guy like Markeith makes it, but it's not for sure. You obviously um, is up there. I mean, these guys are still going to have roster spots in, in terms of, uh, where Warren and, and Seth are, and obviously Seth looks a little closer. But all of a sudden, you take those minutes out, you back out those minutes for those guys uh, um, in terms of Curry and definitely with Warren, and you kind of do get to around you know 200-ish minutes, which means you have about 40 to clear. It probably opens the door a little bit more for Cam. Um, you know, I know it's not a one-for-one one on Dayron Sharp. He was a guy that I had sitting around the let's wait and see about where we put his minutes. I, I know I know someone's going to be like, hey, they don't play the same position. Uh, dude, I'm aware of that. But the 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 part where you just have to have five players on the court <laughs> the part matters. Where to fill, yeah, this part where there's 240 right. minutes and you're on the team, like that right. does matter. So um, you think, do you think I, Kessler Edwards, like early season, maybe gets a little bit to get flexed in there? Like I know I think we – he kind of feel like we got him out there over his skis too much. That, that wasn't the intention for the Nets. And then combine that with what we saw in the summer league, where it was like, right, there's a very specific role that this guy fits, and he probably needs to develop more. I don't. I think I, I, I agree with you on the other guys you're mentioning, but Kessler probably. I don't think this changes anything for him necessarily. Now, I think actually what it does is I had like Royce O'Neal right around 23 minutes. I probably feel more comfortable already putting him at like 27 or something yeah. like that because he's a versatile player that we know can do a few of the things the Nets need to do. So mm-hmm. right out of the gate, just giving his – some of Warren's minutes go right there, right? Because yeah. that was like a question mark around these sort of wing players around where they would land. Um, I'd much more – I'd be much more – let me put it this way. I'd be much more confident increasing Royce O'Neal's minutes by five than I would be giving Kessler Edwards five at all. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, like, yeah. And so I think that that's probably in thinking about it where I would land. Um, I, I don't feel the same way about cam. I think that like, it still makes sense to try to get shoehorn minutes in for him. Mm-hmm. I do think it's probably still makes sense to shoehorn minutes in for sharp just because they don't have an, necessarily a total analog on the bench for, for him. And so, that's kind of where I land with the minutes. But again, like just backing that out means we're going to probably see more, maybe 20 for Patty Mills now instead of 17, right? Yeah. Like that, I think those are sort of where the minutes, the cascading minutes start to start to kind of land a little downhill. 
So coming up in a second, I want to ask a couple of follow-ups on some of these rotation players, at least early in the season, because now it it is going to look different when you're not 100% healthy, as not every team is going to be. But also talk about the role of Nicholas Claxton and the way he spoke about what he's looking forward to, that relationship on the court with Ben Simmons. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay. So I said this in yesterday's episode. Um, Let me touch this briefly. One thing uh, that Royce O'Neal mentioned when talking with Sarah Kustak and Ryan Rucco at Media Day was what did he think his role was and where was he valued in Utah and what does he bring here? He called himself the glue guy, right? Like I think we all all earmark him to be, oh, you'll be Bruce Brown. That's, That's what you're here to do. And in a lot of ways, yes, also brings a better offensive perimeter skill set than Bruce Brown unnecessarily did. And just on a like for like, they are, I believe that Royce is a little bit taller than Bruce, uh, has the same exact wingspan. I went and checked this out, but also has 15 or 20 pounds more. So like just when we think about the way the Nets were trying to reconstruct things in the off season, it was getting a little bit bigger. And that doesn't just mean height. It also just means a couple more thick bodies out there, which I think matters for him. It also matters for one Nicholas Claxton who I said this on last episode, he looks like a totally different person just because of the hairstyle and everything else. But he also, he bulked up. Like it's very apparent that yep. he has gotten bigger. That matters significantly for being able to be a stronger anchor against some of the bigger bodies defensively. I think sometimes we forget that it can also increase the value offensively and being able to tack at the basket, an area where at times he, he started to flash that that next phase of his development where he was taking the ball up in one motion as opposed to the gather. Even if you need to gather it, being stronger affords you the ability to fight through and pick up some of those fouls. Um, there, there's a couple of, of comments around him in the offseason, but just that, that initial visual. This is year four for him. I mean, do we, feel, do we feel like the fact that he's still on this roster, that the organization believes what he can be for this team, especially now with Ben Simmons in the mix? Yeah, he's got to take a mini leap here um, with the yes. eight and a half, mil- the eight and a half million, and the eight point seven five million for next season that they signed him to. They need him to be a little better than he's been, right? Like, yep. um, and some of those ways are just going to be purely physical. I mean, some of the ways that Nick Claxton could just get better would be not getting injured and just bulking up. Like we would have said that as two um, possibilities for just sort of quote unquote easy ways to and hopefully begin. bulking up helps him not get injured in a lot of right, right you know strength right so like those would have been like the low-hanging fruit in his game around just getting better which is time on court and just being stronger mm-hmm. so I think from that point point of view those two things um he's already cleared away well excuse me he's cleared one of those away and then the other one it just either is going to happen or it's not with the with, with the injury um two just because of the way the roster is made up now they really just are going to need more from him too because they just don't have much other size beyond dayron mm-hmm. so just from that point of view even if he weren't to start which i think he will even if he weren't to start they're going to need pretty significant high quality minutes from him anyway so yeah i think between the money and just the way the roster is built there is a belief here that he can handle it because yeah. if, if that belief wasn't there, they a wouldn't have resigned him, and b they would have bought in, brought in more center help. But your center's right. available on the market, even if they're they kind of stink at this point. The ones that are still there, but 
I, I do think that. And then one more thing too, just around where, like what the belief might be around him. Uh, the Nets did release some practice footage, which had people um, have a snarl on that kid's face when he throws that one down. There was a snarl. And if you, and nice job by Alex Sturm, friend of the podcast um, over at Nets daily for just real quick, taking away what the starting five was or what the five man lineup was at the time of the Nets practice footage, which again, is just practice footage, but that was Kyrie, Katie uh, Simmons, which we knew. And then it was Royce O'Neal and um, and Nick Claxton. Like that was the five that was running the court on that side. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that's the starters or whatever, but knowing what we kind of know around some of this other injury stuff now, that very well could be, right? Like because if if they're just going to bring Harris along slowly, if they're worried about Curry not having like not being 100% cleared, and clearly they don't want to start Patty Mills, that could be the starting five. And if that is the case. That is actually a big belief in what Claxton's game has become because um, and even though we predicted it, I, I still think we we still weren't sure. And if that's the starting five, like I, that's the belief that he's good to go here. And, and again, as you mentioned, Royce O'Neal and that starting five, we know about Joe Harris, but I think that's that I that that premise of the Nets want to be athletic as much as possible. And when you don't have Seth Curry to start the season, you start to just try to flesh out what those options are. To your point on Claxton, so there was a couple of things. One, when you look at him, um, you know, he's listed the same height as Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons, by, at, at this moment, is like 242, 45 by the numbers. Claxton's listed at 215. I'm going to safely say that Claxton is closer to 225 now. Like, and I don't think that that's much of an exaggeration. That significantly matters. The couple of things that I wanted to point out are, first of all, he was really excited. Asked about you and Ben. He said it's going to be fun. Both can guard five spots, get out in transition. And it did trigger, like, Nicholas Claxton is not Ben Simmons, but just this idea of on a defensive rebound, when they want to get out and run, we know Nicholas Claxton can get out and run that floor. And if yeah. whether it's Ben Simmons on ball, or if he gets that ball, give me Kevin Durant. If Kevin Durant is running the floor at full tilt or Kyrie Irving, and you have two or three lengthy bodies running that floor, creating space, the transition game for this team really takes a next leap. And I think that Nicholas Claxton understands and sees how Ben Simmons is going to benefit that area of his game as much as anyone else could, because unlike a Kevin Durant, unlike a Kyrie Irving, the other best players on this team, they're not occupying the, the, the space in and around the basket. They're not taking a bigger physical assignment out of potentially Nicholas Claxton's way. So that was the one big point I wanted to point to before I get to his uh, comments on his free throw shooting. And what, and one thing, and we can talk about that, but because uh, this is brief, but yep. you just remember too, like in the playoffs, like Claxton had a couple of those run the floor moments, right? Mm -hmm. like near the end of the season, like he, we hadn't seen that a ton from him, but there was a few times where he had initiated just like sick defensive sequences and then started the break himself. Obviously you don't want him leading the break um, right. traditionally, but it was more a testament to the athleticism around and that they're probably is still a range of outcomes for his game that exists a little further beyond what we've just been able to see on the court, right? The Nets, especially with Harden and, and to some degree with Durant and, uh, uh, and Kyrie, they don't need bigs to like do a lot in the offense, but don't, re don't forget like, you know, Nick Claxton effectively played point guard in college. Like it was like, he, he was not a primary ball handler in like the truest sense, but they ran tons of offense through him. So like, he just never been asked to do that really. And for the most part, we really don't want to see him putting the ball in the deck, but I, I, I guess my but overall the injuries, point is the injury stunt, the injury yeah, yeah, stunt sure. where you think That's those areas of development can be right. He, 
he's missed so much time over these first couple seasons of his, yeah. about first three seasons, that we just haven't seen it. And then the way the things were made up, we also haven't needed to see it because in the Nets offense, it's like, hey, your big is going to be a short roll kind of guy, read and react short roll guy, and that's kind of all we need you to do. For the most part, that's still probably all they need him to do. Mm -hmm. But I think that there is a, a range of outcomes, like I said, for his game that do exist beyond what we've seen. And if those come out even a little bit, like we just the, the eight and a half million could look like a huge deal. Like, I, I guess that's I guess that's mostly what my point is. And I I love again, we, we've gone through so many ebbs and flows of how we feel about this team and what they should do. I love when the Nets, when any team in any sport puts trust and faith in the guys that they drafted, the guys that they're developing and believing that they can become whatever they envision them to be. So I like that they're showing the support for that. There's a couple of quick things here. Obviously, you said he got more physical. Um, they asked about that increased role and what the expectations are, uh, Sarah Kustak and Ryan Rucco. And he said, that's what you dream of, being given a lot more on your shoulders and I'm ready to take on that role. A lot of guys came in and out, but I stuck here. Referencing back to the offseason and to last season, he said, Ahead of the deadline, I almost got traded. But after that, everything was about the idea of me, me being a part of this team, staying here, and moving forward. And in, in that regard, maybe the Nets not got lucky, but hey, you get to the offseason, you navigate all these, these insane waters, and now having all the superstars here, keeping Nick Claxton, still having him be a part of this, seems important as well. I'll just very briefly say the free throw piece um, just as a reminder, he was atrocious in the playoffs last year. We all understand. That is not that. even a good word. That's not even a good word. Like, right. what's the word that's worse than atrocious? Like, it was, it was something. He was. I mean, kind of. Like, yeah. he misses. He missed free throws that like brought. He missed. I mean, look, it's it's a blip. But like, he missed so many free throws in the playoffs that the point differential of what they lost to the by Boston would have yeah. looked significantly different oh. had he just made like seventy percent of sixty percent of them. Like he that's cost how people many he money. Missed. He cost people money with those free yeah. throw misses, right? Um, but my, the point I just quickly want to make was he hit fifty eight percent of his free throws last year. Now he only averages two per game. That's basically all he's averaged his career. Uh, one only one and a half in his rook in twenty nineteen twenty. My point is. 52-48-58. He actually hit his highest free throw percentage this past season. It's not great, but when he was asked about it, he said, I was trying a lot of different things at the line, a lot of different processes, a lot of different ways of approaching it. The, the way he focused on this offseason was just a consistent method of I step to the line, this is how I shoot my free throws. Whatever the results are going to be, everybody universally agrees. Even when the best free throws go three throwers, three, three throw shooters go yeah, through slums. Oh, I knew I would. They always reference, yeah, I got a little bit out of sync. So for guys that we know it's not the primary function of their game, I think they need to hone in a bit more on it. And he'll need to do that because if you're going to have a bigger role, guess what? You're going to be at the line more and you can't be missing nine out of 10 with consistency for this team to have success. Yeah, like free throws are a big part of as, as, as largely mental. Uh, like it's not solely mental. It's a mechanics thing. But like of all the pieces of a basketball game, like that's easily the most mental part of it, right? It's like you're standing there by yourself. You have to just do this repeatable motion. You think about something that you don't think about when you are reading and reacting. Uh, you know, look, we saw like, and we've seen people take lots of approaches for this. At some have gotten better, some have. Like remember DeAndre Jordan used to do the thing where he would like talk. He would talk to people next to him and that was hilarious because he would even do it when there was nobody there like he right. became and it, but it but actually helps like he actually he improved on his free throw shooting trying new things this is all to say if you're taking a really all you really want to hear with that is that someone's just taking an approach that will help the mental piece of it or mm -hmm. like and and help them make because the mental piece then just kind of goes into the mechanics because if you're not 
if you're not there mentally, then the mechanics get all screwed up and then you start missing. And like, that's just a very obvious thing. Right. So just hearing that it's been talked about and addressed and he's, you know, clearly it's, it's one of those things. Like, of course, like everyone knows it was such a disaster in the playoffs. Everyone knows what you don't want us to go. I'm not too worried about it. Yeah, like, you know, was, you want to hear that he was focusing on it. You want to hear that he, he there's areas to improve. Go and do that. Not, eh, that's not really my bag. You know, so that's what you want to hear from. He him was four for twenty two in the Boston series. Close like, enough. Four, four for twenty two for eighteen percent. That's like, uh, there's like probably some people game that can on the line up. playoff basketball game on the line. Does can Doug Norrie step to the free throw line and do better than four for twenty two? Well, no, I, I won't say that because I like I'm um you know on on record for having the absolute total gips with stuff like this. Now that being said, um the that being said, in my heyday, I could I mean hit 30, 30 in a row or something like that. Hello, I, like, but hello. but but I'm saying that like the reason I kind of the reason I stand with guys like Laxton here is because I've been again famously unable to perform simple <laughs> mechanical things when it came to throwing a baseball. Not as much with basketball as with ba- the baseball was the problem. Um, oh, were you, the Chuck, was, you were the Chuck Knobloch of your day, were you? Yeah, like I'd be a first pitch of a, of a MLB game total, like like <laughs> candidate to candidate to show up on YouTube for years. Um, <laughs> even though like could play baseball at a pretty high level, like right. but if I if it was like City Field, more this than, is going to get aired than, on local access television. Oh boy! Yeah, it's like you're going to be with like you're going to be with uh, Baba Booey and who are the other guys? Like <laughs> <Yeah>. the uh, <laughs> um, Fifty Cent, I think was a bad one too. Like these guys, I think Conor McGregor did an all-time bad one. Like I'd be, I'd be in a candidate to have one of those just yeah. because of the mechanic thing. This is a long and winding way to say. I can feel Nick Claxton on this, and it's glad to hear he's addressed it. So that's it. Okay, well, I know we got to get out of here. Yeah. Um, Make sure you subscribe to YouTube. Love the comments. Um, love the continue. I know I say this every day, but it's just true every day. Like the numbers on our subscribers just go up. <laughs> like every every time I click on love it, it. we've added 10 to 20 more subscribers. Like be part of the movement. We're really appreciative. Up and over 3,000. Headed to 4,000 there. Uh, that's the easiest way. It's totally free. You can help the podcast. Subscribe on YouTube and hit subscribe and like wherever you listen to the podcast. Spotify, Apple, all those places. We are adjusters, we emphasize, we change rhythm, and above all, we listen to our fellow players if they are good players. Benjamin Kingsley. Oh, Sir Benjamin Kingsley. Yeah. We are, uh, <laughs> we are, no, we are, no, we are. I was going to say something about <laughs> Benjamin Kingsley, but I screwed that up. Uh, one of the all-time great poets. We will be back again next week talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.